Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Well, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray for the speaker and for all y'all to be able to receive this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk about protecting your innocence today. I feel like the Lord gave me this word about protecting our innocence. Uh, actually, this is a part of this is a repeat from a few years ago, probably think about 15 years ago. I've got this prophetic word, prophetic word about protecting your innocence. But about five days ago, I just woke up with this phrase, protect your innocence. So I want to talk today about actually protecting our innocence. Years ago, uh, Danny Silk and I, I think Kathy was with us, Sherry Silk, Tracy Evans. You guys know Tracy Evans. There was, I think there was five or six of us, and we went to Morningstar, uh, Rick Joyner's Morningstar, for a prophetic conference. How many of you know who Rick Joyner is? So we went to the, uh, the Morningstar conference. It was pretty, pretty amazing, actually. We get there. There's 3,700 people. It was done in a hotel uh, v- venue, and we're standing in line registering. You can imagine how many lines there are and how long the lines are trying to get in to register. So we're standing there, uh, the five or six of us, and the guy in front of us, who well, obviously we've never met before, turns around and goes, you guys are from the mountains. We're like, yeah. He goes, you're from Weaverville, right? Yeah. He goes, yep. The Lord's assigned a great week for you. <laughs> Hair sticks up in the back of our heads like, oh boy. <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, we had a, a powerful time. Uh, I think it was day two or day three. Uh, Tracy said, why don't we go out to Moravian Falls during the lunch break and we'll just miss one session because Moravian Falls, there's a lodge there, and it's kind of famous for angel visitations. And so she's like, let's go out to Moravian Falls. And not only that, but the lodge has lots of prophets hang out there. Paul Kane has been there, Bob Jones, Larry Rand, all these real famous prophets. So it's a, it's a half an hour drive from the hotel. But because Tracy was driving, it took us four hours. <laughs> she has no sense of direction. Now I know why she's ministering in Africa. She's probably sent to Asia. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm the only person I know that has a worse sense of direction to her. So then her. So we get to the lodge. Uh, obviously, we're hours late. And by the way, we decided to go on a whim. So nobody knew we were going except for the five or six of us. And we get to the lodge, and there's a young man standing on the front deck. He's about 65 years old. He's getting younger all the time. And uh, we get to the house, and we're in a rented car, so you, you obviously you can't tell where we're from. And we get to the, house, the lodge, and he's standing on the deck, and he goes, Hey, hi, you guys are from Weirville, right? We're like, yeah. He goes, you're late. <laughs> it's her fault. He goes, come in. I've been waiting for you. I'm like, this is right after, this is like two days after the guy points us out that we're from the mountains. and from. So we, we come in and he looks at Danny and I and he goes, yeah, I got something to talk to you about. And we're like, okay. So we all sat on, uh, on couches that were, were this beautiful, um, beautiful windows that uh, overlook this, uh, this, this room overlooks this beautiful green valley. So the girls kind of sat on one couch there, and Danny and I sat together, and, and the guy's standing up in front of us, and he starts telling us a story. Have you ever had anyone tell you a story where it goes on and on, you have no, no idea where it's going? 
Some of the guys are like, yeah, I'm married. But no, I mean, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, this thought, I just thought I'd be funny. It's just funny. <laughs> okay. This guy's telling us a story that's going on for like 20 minutes. And, you know, we're like really intently listening because obviously he's told us, you know, he knew who we were and he has this message for us. And he's telling us the story about planting a church. Said he planted a church in his house and it grew to, I forget, 2,000, 3,000. And it went on for a num- numerous years. And, and he was telling us all about, you know, how God was pouring out his spirit on them and all the salvations they had. And he was going on and on and on. And like, you know, I'm like, where is this going? And then at the end, the last two minutes, he said, and then my heart grew full of, uh, full of pride and arrogance. And I fell into adultery and I lost everything. I lost my church. I lost my wife. I lost my house. I lost everything. And he looks at both of us and he looks down at us and he goes, don't ever let that happen. Then he turns around and goes, I got to go to work. Guys can stay as long as you want. And he walks out and I looked at Dan and I go, he's talking to you, bro. <laughs> I'll never actually forgot that story. I have to admit, I haven't told that story. I don't know if I've ever told that story. Uh, Danny was staying over at my house last Monday night, and I, I, I was telling, I was reminding him that story, and he's like, yeah, I remember that. I said, remember when he told you that you should watch over your heart? <laughs> we both had a good, la- good laugh in my front room. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow all the issues of life. I want to talk about protecting our innocence and watching over our hearts. You know, um, I, I don't plant gardens, but Kathy does. By the way, I don't hunt, Kathy does. I don't ride horses, Kathy does. I don't shoot guns, Kathy does. <laughs> Pretty much if someone breaks into our house, I wake her and I'm like, go take care of that and I'll call 911, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but if you've ever planted a garden before, which I've watched from a distance, <laughs> what you do to grow tomatoes and lettuce, and squash, and so on and so forth. When you start cultivating that soil, it actually also helps the weeds grow. Like, you can have a pretty, I remember we did this one uh, garden, Kathy did this one garden, and I remember it was fairly weedless until she cultivated it, fertilized it, and started growing and watering it, and started growing tomatoes in it. And I remember that the weeds just started taking over the garden. And if you ever, if you ever actually, you know, care about a garden, if you ever cared for a garden, you know that you don't like plant the tomatoes and water them, you know, have a watering system and come back three months later and harvest tomatoes. It, it doesn't work like that. I mean, literally you have to go, if you're, if you're doing a good job, you go out every day and you just pull the weeds as they're coming up because the weeds actually get bigger than the plants. <laughs> I shared this in second service and the gal came up and said, you know why weeds are bigger than, get bigger than the plants? I said, no. She said, because they have no fruit. They're not interested in fruit. They just grow up and take up all the sunshine. And I, that's a good word. <laughs> Better than the revelation I had. <laughs> and what I'm getting at is that we have to watch over our heart with diligence. And that means we have to daily pull the weeds that are growing when we're cultivating 
things that are of the kingdom because other stuff is growing in our hearts. And if we don't pull those weeds, it won't be long before the weeds take over this beautiful vegetable garden. You can't go out once a month and, and pull them. You can't go out once a year and pull them. You have to go pull them as you see them and make sure that the, your garden, that you give sunshine to the plants that you want sunshine to be on. And so I want to talk about watching our hearts. I am deeply troubled over what's happening today. Deeply troubled. I'm not deeply troubled about what's happening in the world because I don't have responsibility for the world. You know, the Lord said, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. I'm concerned about the world, but I know that it's not the world that determines where we're heading. I am deeply, deeply troubled. I am heart sick over the offense that, that believers are living in. We are being frog boiled in the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And I'm not even sure that we know it. And in my mind, we, have, we are losing quickly our innocence in just learning to love people whom we don't even agree with. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you'll turn there, I want to tell you one of the saddest stories in the Bible. I'll read you the first few uh, part of this, and I'll tell you the rest. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to war that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rephim. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when the evening came... David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof on the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, the wife of Uriah, the wife of Uriah? Is this not the wife of Uriah? Hello, king. By the way, Uriah is one of your 33 mighty men. She's the wife of one of your mighty men. And David sent and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. When she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, say, send me Uriah the Hittite. This is a very sad story from so many perspectives. But it echoes the concern I have for myself. Like this is not a message I'm preaching to y'all. This is a message I'm preaching to y'all. I'm in here with you. David, when kings go out to war, David stayed home. You don't want to be on a cruise ship when you're supposed to be on a freaking battleship. Come on. No one's going to convince me that David had a, his, David's main issue was a problem with his sex drive. He had, at this time, seven wives, and his concubines were never numbered, but over 100. How many understand that It's important that you know what season you're in. And I'd like to propose to you that we are in a war season. It won't be forever. Hopefully it won't be very much longer. But we are in a war season. And there is a war 
over our hearts. Hello, there is a war over our hearts. And I'm going to tell you what happens when you get squeezed and what's in there comes out. Trials don't make you, they reveal you. He made me mad. Mad was in there. When you got squeezed, mad came out. Right? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Wait a second. Testing your faith. How many understand that trials test your faith before they test your character? (laughs) Oh, no. Here we go. The rest of that story, David sends for Uriah. Uriah means God's my fire. Hello? He's about to kill the guy named God's my fire. Calls for Uriah. Uriah comes. He's trying to cover up his adultery. His goal is to get him, obviously, to sleep with his wife so that no one knows what happened. So he calls Uriah. Uriah shows up to the king's house. The king said, hey, you know, stay overnight with your wife and I'll send you back to the battle. Next morning, David gets up early. His messengers are already there waiting for David to wake up. And he goes, the messenger says, hey, Uriah didn't sleep with his wife. He slept at the ki- in the king's doorway all night long. So the, David brings Uriah in and says, yo, dude, what's happening? This is a little amplified version. <laughs> what's happening? Why didn't you go to your, to your house and sleep with your wife? And he said, how can I... Sleep in my bed when the armies of Israel are camped in the field and in, at war against their enemies. Hello, David. You just got another prophetic word from your guy. How can I, a warrior, sleep with my wife when I, the armies of Israel are camped in the open field at war with your enemies? So David says, well, have dinner with me tonight. And he gets Uriah drunk, thinking certainly when he's drunk, he will go home and sleep with his wife. And he gets him drunk, and he does go to sleep again at the king's door. (laughs) And the messengers report, Uriah didn't go home. He slept again at the king's door. How many know Uriah's got better character drunk then David has sober. (laughs) David writes a note to Joab, the commander-in-chief. Here's what the note says. Take take Uriah, put him at the most intense place in the battle, and when you're in the midst of the battle, withdraw from him and let him fall. Let him die. Uriah is carrying his own death note and doesn't even know it. He doesn't send the, Why doesn't David send the messenger ahead of him with the note? Because he knows Uriah's got such great character, he's not even going to open that note and read his own death letter. And that's exactly what happens. He puts him on the front line just as David has ordered. He withdrew, with, withdrew the troops in the midst of a fierce battle, and Uriah dies. A few months later, before the child is born, in 2 Samuel 12, 1, the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, who's also David's cousin. I want to read you the beginning of this encounter. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David 
And he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, and one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had great many flocks and herds, and the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the guy who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to, to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing, and he had no compassion. And here's the next verse, and Nathan said to him, You are the guy. <laughs> you are the guy. The Lord goes on to say to him, what have you done? I chose you from falling sheep to be king. I brought Israel to be under you and Judah to be under you. I gave you wives, concubines. I made you rich. I gave you great favor. And here's the last line that the Lord says to him. And I would have done more if you would have only asked. But what have you done but taken this man's wife? And the scariest thing about it is that David has no idea that Nathan is talking about him. Have you ever had someone tell you a story and you know you're the character in the story before they get to the end? I have. <laughs> and there's this guy, and I'm like, this sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> David has no idea that he's the guy in the story. Innocence isn't lost in one virtuous act. It's rather death by a thousand paper cuts. It starts with an attitude long before it ever becomes an action. Arrogance, entitlement, offense, bitterness, disillusion, unforgiveness, lack of gratitude, self-will are some of the pathways to the pitfalls of lost innocence. And I am so concerned. I am heartsick over what I see happening in the, in, in the church. Not just way out there with all of us. I am very concerned that we are being frog-boiled in the hot water of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. That we are judging, making our attitudes are growing. The media is teaching us how to respond to people and how to make judgments, people. You know what's interesting to me? That's funny. Alarm went off. I got it. I got in my car to drive from Twinview back here, and I had the 60s on, and it was singing Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Not this is going to be a good message. <laughs> Haven't heard that song in a long time, but I'll take it. It's interesting to me that 12 disciples are living together in community for three and a half years with Jesus. And 
at the end of that ministry, Jesus said to them, one of you are going to betray me. And John, who lays on the breast of Jesus, turns to Jesus and said, who is it, Lord? Is it me? And I'm saying, Judas is with them. He's the biggest betrayer in human history, betraying the Christ himself. And the 11 disciples don't even know it's him. But we are convinced we know people's hearts who we never even met. You have no idea how troubling this is to me. I'm not saying you, I'm saying us. We are convinced that we know people's motives, their hearts, their judgments. And 12, 11 disciples didn't even know that Judas was a betrayer. And he lived with them for freaking three and a half years. And yet our sermon is so good that we know politicians and leaders and pastors. And we just, we're convinced that we know people's hearts. And this is a decree we make when we've never been in a room with most of these people. I can't even tell you how troubling this is. It has become the culture. Everybody's offended. Where are we going? What happened to loving people? I remember when I met Jesus at 18, I, for the first time in my life, I was so in love with everybody. I mean, felt love for everybody. I remember two Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house the third day I received Christ. <laughs> they came in, they had the watchtower, like, there's some two young guys in white shirts, you know, on bicycles. And they're like, we, we want to tell you about the kingdom. I'm like, come in. <laughs> and I gave them both a hug. It's before COVID. I think I kissed him on the forehead and like, so excited. The Lord sent me two people already. <laughs> and I told him what Jesus did for me and how he'd save me. And, and like, before they could like even say anything. And they were so, they were like, oh, well, that's good. That's good, brother. Yeah, that's a good start. Oh, and they got so nervous, they just hand me the watchtower and turn around and left. And I said to my mom, Mom, the Lord sent me two Christians. I'm only been a Christian. And she looked at the watchtower. She said, those aren't Christians. Those are Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I just love people. I just love everybody. I didn't even know what people's doctrine was. I was just like, everyone's so offended. And like, we live in a democracy. So it's beautiful. We get to make choices and I love it, and, and I, I believe, you know, I started Moral Revolution. I do believe there are truths that we should stand by. I do. But when our truth keeps us from loving people, I'm not sure we understand what truth's about. You got people that want to put people in prison and remove people from office because the group of you believe they're guilty, and you're so concerned that, we're becoming like the Nazis of Germany. And I'm like, can you imagine what kind of country puts people in prison, takes, removes them from office without a trial? Can you imagine if a Muslim nation was putting a Christian in prison without any trial? What you would think about that nation. <laughs> and yet we're becoming the very thing we're afraid of. Our offenses blind us 
to our own judgments. Well, what if they're guilty? Then, then they should be tried. And like all of us, we're innocent until we're proven guilty. Can you imagine living in a country where you're guilty until you're proven innocent? I'm pointing out that, listen, I know a bunch of you are offended right now. I'm like, you're the people I'm talking to. <laughs> Just offended about everything. A lady wrote me yesterday on, uh, she wrote on my Facebook page to, you know, 379,000 people. Bethel Church is part of the apostate. They didn't even pray for Afghanistan. And Chris Valentin's one of their leaders on my page. I'm just like, <laughs> we sent missionaries to Afghanistan. What are you talking about? We, we have prayer meetings for Afghanistan. And I just wrote back and said, have you even been here? <laughs> I guess because you don't post about Afghanistan every, every day. But I don't know if the Lord reads the post, but I know he answers prayer. Just people offended. Anti-vax people, pro-vax people, anti-Biden people, pro-Trump people. It's like, it's like, it's like, can you imagine? It, it, what, just, just, I know you feel the angst go up when I just said names. <laughs> can you feel that? I bet you at home you can. Just say the names, and already it's like, you know what that is? That's what I'm talking about. That's the spirit of the age. That's a guilty, 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 judgments, guilty. And I am sick of it. I'm so sick of it. What happened to loving people? Well, I love them. I love them. I remember walking through my shop. I was going to say I, I was praying, but I wasn't. I was walking through my shop one day and I was really frustrated with one of my grandkids and I was just thinking about, you know, how frustrated I am. And I just said out loud, Lord, give me patience. And the Lord said to me, you don't need patience. You need love. Love is patient. Your problem is you don't love your grandkids the way I do. And if you did, you'd be patient. And I realized I was asking for an attribute of love when what I actually needed was love. Matthew 5, 23. Okay, I'm going to use the Bible now. <laughs> you better use the right version. <laughs> Don't use that, pancer, pass, that passion translation. That's diarrhea Bible. <laughs> People just offended. Even what brand of Bible you... You quote the Bible, I'm like, what version is that? I don't know. It's the Bible. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> and the challenge is we don't even know we're doing it because everybody's doing it. I got vaccinated. People are mad because I got vaccinated. I'm not the pro-vax guy. Just got vaccinated. There's a risk. I know there's a risk. I know I'm going to die. <laughs> Someday I'm going to die. So are you. You're all terminal. <laughs> I'm not trying to get anyone else to do it. I just did it because 
I felt I was supposed to. All right, you don't have to be mad about it. If you don't think you should, don't. Good, we got it. I love you. Wow, you really love people you get back. I'm like, don't, just stop. Stop. Stop it. You have an opinion? I have an opinion. Paul said that we are a body with many members. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eye, got no need of you. But how many know if you're a foot, you, you're having a very different experience than the hand. You might be walking on hot, hard soil. The hand's not experiencing that. I'm pointing out that, that we all have experiences in the part of the body we play, which gives us different perspectives. And the beauty of that, if we can actually love one another, is we actually have collective intelligence because it's we who have the mind of Christ, but we have to actually value other people's experience. I sat with um, some of our black staff this year, Dan and I, uh, six or seven times, a very, very hard time for them, very, very tough time for them. They were explaining how they were experiencing culture in their pain. I could be like, that's not the way it is. That's not what we believe. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. They're experiencing something I'm not experiencing. I don't need to shame them or guilt them or, you know, try to defend myself. It's like, be quiet and listen. Be patient. Have compassion for people who are experiencing life very differently than you are. Well, if they just read the documentary, they would know. But you, oh, in other words, if I read the same stuff you read, then I'm going to come to the same conclusion you do. That's absolutely not true. We read the same Bible and don't agree. <laughs> well, I read the Passion Translation. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Uh. You, am I talking to anyone? In Matthew 5, verse 23, 24, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother, then come back and present your offering. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm trying to show you how important relationships are to Jesus. He didn't say, if you have something against your brother, he says, they have something against you. You're like, not my problem not my fault. It's maybe not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. And how big is it? The Lord's like, hey, I love worship, but I want you to get along. I said in posts that got corrected, the Lord loves reconciliation more than he loves worship. And someone said, well, that's not biblically correct. Okay, well, you're probably reading the Passion Translation. But anyway, <laughs> that was a joke. I'm just being funny. I'm pointing out that the Lord cares a lot about our relationships. If you were offended with someone, he didn't say, go tell 10 other people. He didn't even say, go pray about it. Oh, I got this problem with this person. Told my whole family. Why don't you go talk to them? Well, you know, what's going to happen is I'm going to talk to them. They're going to say this. I'm going to say, you have it all worked out. You think you know what they're going to say, but you don't. Neither do I. I'm not saying you. I'm saying all of us, all y'all. I've done the same thing. Get frustrated with somebody. You're like, I'll talk to you and I'll talk to you and I'll talk to you. I'm like, have you talked to him? No, why not? Well, I know what he's going to say. You're just a genius. 
such a prophet, you even know what other people are thinking <laughs> and why they're doing it. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about the fact that someone sinned against you. So Matthew 5 is about someone has something against you. Matthew 18 is you have something against someone else. I love this part. Let me read to you. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. In private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen, then take two or three with you so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to him, to the church, uh, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Very next verse, truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree upon anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Very next verse. Then Peter said, "How many, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive these people? Which I think is a little funny since he's the most offensive person in the Bible. <laughs> uh, okay, follow me. What I'm getting at is how important are relationships to Jesus? He said, someone sins against you, you go talk to him. Have a conversation with him. If he works out, you want a brother, it's cool. But if it doesn't work out, you're like, okay, I'm done. I tried. The Lord's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're just getting started here. We're just getting started here. See, if, you, if we actually walked out the protocol of the Bible in relationship, I bet we wouldn't have very many judgments because we'd just be busy all week long just going with people. <laughs> He said, now I want you to bring a brother or sister, one or two. And listen, when you bring someone else, it's not your mother or your attorney. <laughs> this is someone, you know, this is somebody that we both, like, are, are you with me? Yeah. If, if we have a problem, if Tom and I have a problem, I'm not bringing my attorney to meet with Tom. We're bringing someone that we both mutually respect. And what that person's doing is he's helping me to see Tom's side. He's helping Tom to see my side. And the goal is reconciliation, not crucifixion. Are you with me? Okay, and that doesn't work. You're like, okay, Lord, I've tried it all. The Lord's all, oh, no. Now I want you to bring him before someone who has authority. Your boss, the church. Do you get the pattern? What I'm getting at is the Lord's really serious about you and I not living in offense with one another. It's not just, it's just not this massive, like, I don't like him because of his doctrine. I don't like him. He should be removed from office. I don't like that guy. And you know what they're trying to do? They're like the Nazis. And the Lord's like, you're going to be very busy <laughs> trying to reconcile with all these people that you just let offense just flow from your life like a fountain that's polluted. And this is how important relationships are to Jesus. You got a problem. He goes, oh, no, you're not getting off that easy. Wow. And then he goes, okay, you can't reconcile. Whatever, for whatever reason, you can't reconcile. Then he goes, okay, I want you to treat him like, I want you to treat him like a Gentile. How do I treat Gentiles? Well, he says, get two or three people together. Where two or three agree upon earth as to touch anything, it shall be done for them. You know what he's still talking about? Forgiveness. How do I treat Gentiles who refuse to repent, I give them grace and I forgive them even though they don't deserve it. Jesus on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. What do I do when you, when you refuse 
to repent for the sins against me. I treat you the way I treat an unbeliever. How do I treat unbelievers? I, just, I forgive them even though they don't deserve it. And I get some brothers around to say, hey, let's agree with God. Hey, Lord, this sin that he sinned against me, the three of us agree on earth to forgive him even though he doesn't deserve it. Because I can't live in offense no matter what you do. Well, you don't know what he's done to me. I know what bitterness does to you, though. I know what unforgiveness does to you. I know what judgment does to you. Fault finding. Just, I've never been in a season where people just spew stuff about anyone. Christians, believers. You're like, they shut down my Facebook account. And I think the Lord did. (laughs) I think I'm joking a little bit. The beauty of Bethel has always been in the diversity of the apostleship which allows people of very different perspectives to bond in the love of Jesus and walk together in the unity of the Spirit. This is the beauty of Bethel, that we have Democrats and Republicans, white people, black people, Asian people, anti-vax people, pro-vax people, pro-football people. (laughs) we got people who know what football is, and we have others who think it's soccer. We, you know, just... We have old people. We have young people. And the newspaper wants us to make a statement. Hey, what is your stand on vax? What is your stand on, like, we don't have a stand. We have a stand on the kingdom and loving Jesus. This is what we think about Jesus. I don't want to be a political movement. I'm going to be a kingdom movement. And the beauty of our movement has been we have people, you know, we have, we have people that we've graduated, 13,000 people from over 100 countries. We had 30 people from Iceland. We emptied the country one year. (laughs) Kind of joking. No, but we did. We had 122 Germans two years ago. I mean, you know, the things that Americans are anxious about, they're anxious about very different things. I mean, their, their political system, things are different. What I'm getting at is the beauty of Bethel has been in the gathering of diversity that we are a covenant people bonded by love, not by agreement. And we are unified in the spirit, not necessarily in doctrine. And we have people on our own teams that think differently about all of those subjects I mentioned today beautifully dream differently and have passionate dialogues in love. We have passionate dialogues in our SLT. You would love to be a fly on the wall when we're talking about things that we don't agree about. But it's fun when you're learning from each other and you're listening and you're honoring one another and you can see things very differently. I was in the political world for 14 years. Ministering, you guys know this, most of it's a secret. But just in this, behind the scenes in the UK and, and, and in, and in Brazil and in, in DC and in Russia, in Russia, I fell in love with Putin. I know, now you're mad at me. <laughs> I'm, I mean, Daniel fell in love with Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm like, the Lord said, if you love these people, I will let you influence them. But if you're angst, I won't. 
And I, the Lord told me, I want you to fall in love with Putin. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a commentary on his, on his personhood. I don't know him. Are you with me? And just loving people. Well, how do you know if you love him? Because my love isn't conditional. <laughs> my love's not conditional. I love President Biden. I love President Obama. I love President Trump, President Bush. I am commanded to love people. <laughs> and I'm also praying for them because I'm commanded to pray for them. <laughs> this is what the Bible, I don't care what the media says or Fox News or CNN. I don't care what they say. They're not dictating my attitude towards my leaders. I am commanded to love these people and pray for them and Romans 13 and even honor them. Yes, I know how that feels in the room. I feel it too. And that's the problem. Um, it is time for us to actually be Christians and behave like Christians. Jesus said, if you love people who love you, this is Matthew 5, if you love people who love you, what have you done any different than the Gentiles? Then he goes on to say, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute. Well, I love you, but I just treat you like crap. No, please, then stop loving me and treat me kindly. <laughs> I mean, love should feel like something. And by the way, I'm not saying don't have stances. I'm not saying don't believe in truth. I'm not saying don't stand for truth. But I'm saying stay inside your core values when you have a disagreement with somebody. And don't become God to them because you don't know people's hearts. Only God does. Okay. Sam, please. I'm done ranting. <laughs> I have to tell you, though, it felt really good to get this out. I want more. Yeah. Well, I have 14 more pages if you'd like to stay longer. <laughs> the Lord has given us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, and 19. The Lord has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is our ministry. What is the ministry of reconciliation? It says right there. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Listen to the final part, not counting their trespasses against them. And then the next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as if God is begging through us to be reconciled to God. What is our best weapon? It is the fact that we get to forgive people who don't deserve it. We get to love people who are unlovable. This is what sets us apart from other people. We can't get frog boiled in the spirit of the age, which is angst at everybody. Are you following me? Lord, I just pray for us. Me? I've prayed for myself twice, so I'm really prayed in now. I probably have a pure heart already. But Lord, I just pray for us that we would actually love people like you do. That we would love the world. Lord, that we would stand for truth, but we'd find a way to do it like Daniel did in that we could be truth to people, but we speak truth in love. And that we earnestly, honestly love people. And Lord, teach us how to walk together when we don't have the same view on many things. Help us to be unified in the spirit of God and help us to have open ears and open hearts. And Lord, help us to actually count relationships as wealth. That our relationships are so valuable that I wouldn't want to lose a relationship any more than I would want to lose What's everything that's in my bank account or 
lose my home. Lord, let us desperately and passionately stay connected to one another. And wherever we have offense, I feel like there's several people in here, as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit's actually convicting you. I know he was me. I got this for myself a week ago. And I laid on the bed and, and asked God to forgive me for many, many people, many things that I've held, judgments. I, this word was to me before it's ever to you. I am not an innocent party in this room by any means. And I pray that if God convicts you, that you would go make it right with people, that you would go fix that relationship. Well, you, you don't know. I don't know what they're going to say. I understand it's really risky. But as far as it depends on you, the Lord wrote, be at peace with all men. Lord, I just bless every single person in here. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.